0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, a 30-year Wall Street veteran that's had to go underground and take on a secret identity in order to provide you with my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen my face on TV. You've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, so I've disguised my voice, and they'll never know. This week... Uh let's see here. I'm looking at the september twenty third two thousand eleven edition of the value line investment survey small and mid cap edition. but before we get to that, a couple of important caveats first of all, this show is for entertainment purposes only, and that's not a guarantee as I like to say second uh it's after hours after work. I'm just doing this as a hobby, and so. Uh, while during the week we, you know, pay a lot of attention to a lot of important metrics about our companies and our holdings. Here on the show, I don't pay any attention to that. I'm just paging through Value Line. Uh, third, um, I've been drinking. I have to admit, it's after hours, well after at this point, and uh, I'm just paging through Value Line, having a drink. You know. And finally, my uh, attorney says I need to tell you that I may not have your best interests in mind. So keep that in mind. Um, I may recommend the opposite of what's in your best interest. I mean, I'm not really going to do that, just so you know. Um, See all the caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. And in fact, if you go there, there's about five years of shows They're indexed by ticker. If you pull the RSS code into um, Internet Explorer or even, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft uh, Excel, it gives a nice breakdown. You can search by ticker and go back. And then also there's a link on the home page to a best ideas list. And I've got about five years of best ideas. I don't keep it up to date you know, every day, but I think the current price in there is maybe a week ago, and it shows all the ideas that we've, you know, called our best ideas for the last five years, and that's an interesting list to go through as well. Um, listen, I'm sorry I haven't done the show the past couple of weeks. I've just gotten real busy. You know, the market's been terrible Uh And so people want to meet and stuff and talk about, you know, why their stocks aren't doing better. And, you know, we'd like to raise assets, new clients. And so, um, you know, we've got nice brochures and a website that looks freaking great and all that. But, you know, who wants to talk about that? They're just going around locking up their windows so they don't, you know, jump out. I was looking at some numbers recently. I mean, we're down, uh, you know, 10%, I think, uh, in a lot of cases. we're, of course, doing small cap value in the shop. And um, so it's been a tough period. But uh, certainly, if you live through 08, 09, you know, this is uh, just, uh, you know, a, a rainy day. That's all. So uh, lots of good values popping up on the screen. You know, um, we've seen um, all around the world, all the indices are being sold kind of together. So, you know, there's big macro views driving things. Um, and so, you know, it it really is an opportunity to be a stock picker and go in and discern, you know, wh- where the value is among these companies. And what I like about the small and mid-cap edition is, I mean, you're really looking at stocks that nobody's looking at. And for years, we did the, uh, uh, you know, the value line investment survey, the main edition, which is a great resource. It's got a little more data than these small and mid-cap editions do. Um, But um, a lot of those are well covered. You know, it's all the big names, the biggest stocks. In this edition, you know, there's names, frankly, I have never heard of. Not that that's a big deal, but I've been in the business 30 years. And so for me, it's fun to find names I've never heard of. It tells me that. You know not everyone who knows how to call a broker you know might own this. you gotta do a little a little homework, of course, you always have to be concerned that insiders know more than you, and you know uh the old saying, you know if you don't know who the chump at the table is, it's you. well, I mean, you know the thing about doing this kind of thing is you gotta really try to make sure that um you have an anchor on what what the value is uh that you're um, investing in and so and in these small caps particularly well you know it's it's nice to go in and look around where no one's looking um and you know that's what we do and that's what I'd encourage you to do it also requires a higher level of due diligence um and you know honestly just a little thing I do is if a place has locations you know you've got Google Earth now working for you i mean honestly i go and look at one of the big frauds years ago was uh, a thing called Z Best, I think. It was uh, some kind of uh, vacuum cleaner, I, I think. I mean, look it up. I, who knows if it's even on the Internet. Um, but they had uh, people buying into the notion that they had hundreds and hundreds of locations when really they only had a few where people go, you know, sort of thing. Nowadays, of course... Make sure that doesn't happen. So there's lots of things you can do to do some due diligence on these little companies. I mean, just go, again, Google Earth, go and look at their headquarters. If it looks like a post office box uh, or a mailbox, again, that's a red flag. So little things, little things you can do. Um, We honestly don't go to every, uh, visit every company, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that um one is the expense you know at our um at our uh, rates um that would cost you know more than the clients are going to want to pay us, a uh and b you know having the you know been on the sell side for many years what happens is these these managers you know they know you're coming you know you're on the calendar and so They prepare. They have lawyers. They have, who knows, makeup artists, uh, Hollywood scriptwriters, advertising men. you know, particularly if, uh, you know, you're in a position to um, talk to others about the name, etc., they're prepared for you. So I always... um, you know, when you're on the sell side, of course, you have to go because your clients, you won't have credibility if you didn't visit the company, frankly. you got to buddy up to all the managers, make sure you know their first names. and You know, if you listen to conference calls, you'll hear the various sell side analysts, you know, having to kind of pal up, make sure you know they know the managers. You know, it's all a little dance people do. Um, but the reality is they're prepared. You're not really learning anything, honestly, when you go there unless you break away and, you know, put on a, uh, you know, who knows, a utility repairman uniform and start asking people who don't know who you are what's going on at the company. So I think there is some of that. But by and large, you're relying on financial statements, and there are some things you can do and some things you can check. Um but if you go to the company, honestly, you're going to be—you're going be, to—they bias you toward them. Um, it's rare that you walk away from a visit uh, thinking worse of the company. And so, um, frankly, I try to stay as unbiased as possible, and just—you know—I don't care. I could care less which stock I buy. Frankly, I don't even care. I'm not even doing page numbers anymore. So, that's how little I care. Let's see here. I'm nine minutes into the show. I haven't even really talked about anything. Um, It's a tough market. So, frankly, I sold a bunch of stuff this last week. I have to go in the office tomorrow and put a lot of cash to work, and the market's been tough. There's some good valuations. I mean, the question is, what's the economy going to do going forward? We don't try to make big bets on the economy, so... I guess the best bet generally is that there's going to be some type of mean reversion on GDP growth and things like that. So interest rates are low. You can afford to kind of be patient. You're not, you know, if you own stocks, it's not like you're giving up a lot of value because you're not in the high yielding bond market or something like that. You know, sometimes stocks with a yield is really the best place to be during these periods. Just wait it out, you know, and, um, Frankly, that's the theme uh, in the, some of the picks I had tonight. I got three pretty good value ideas tonight. You're going to have to, of course, do your own work. It is the small and mid-cap edition. Um, so uh, I'm going to jump into that here. Um, you know, I just I want to say I, I'm doing the show solo tonight. Of course, for long-term listeners, um, I had a, a year or two of doing the show solo. I enjoyed doing that. But recently, you know, I've been trying to you know, get some other value guys on the show. So we had Cash on the show, and uh, I think he enjoyed that and all, but he's drifted off. He's off buying companies or something. He doesn't want to come to a show, you know, frankly, um, although he may come back. Who knows? And then recently, um, as you know, we had, we've had we had, you know, Mr. Mo Mentum on the show, and he's been great. He's a, you know, a, a, a gentleman, an associate of mine from from 25 years ago, and it's great to to uh, have him on the show, but, you know, he's off doing something, he he does, I don't know, he's on a German soccer team in his spare time, or, you know, I don't know, so he's off doing stuff, and so weeks have been going by, I'm not doing the show, and I get some email, and, you know, it's a turbulent time, so I just want to offer up, you know, I wouldn't be overly panicked, I mean, the the newspaper, uh... or the news uh... computer screen you know whatever you're looking at there's a lot of panic they need to sell papers they need to sell advertising Um, you know i sold my cbs the other day because all this uncertainty you know who knows what's coming over the next twelve months and so the more panic that the media can you know uh... create obviously it helps them so in some weird way we do have uh, an election coming. That will help a lot of business in terms of media and all that. But, you know, they're selling papers. Uh, there there are some things to be concerned about longer term. But um, I think a lot of that's in some of these prices I'm going to talk about. You know, these are great businesses. They're going to certainly outlast any short-term political uh, disagreements that are causing kind of a stalemate. There are elections there where the gridlock will end, et cetera. And as I said, you don't pay a lot to wait. If you, uh, you know, own a stock that has a yield, I mean, is that worse than owning, uh, you know, a CD that you know, doesn't pay for its own postage to tell you about itself? So, um, anyway, I think it's a pretty good time to own some of these things. Let me wade into it. Three stocks this week, um, uh, all from the September 23rd, 2011 small and mid-cap edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. First up, oh, I'm sorry, I want to go alphabetical. I kind of gave up page numbers a few years ago when I went computer. Let's see, how are we doing here, alphabetizing. Okay, first up is a company, again, I haven't heard of this, Chase Corp, ticker CCF, uh, what I'm first attracted to is simply the valuation. It's nine times earnings, which is uh, about uh, almost a 40% discount to the S&P 500 or the market multiple. And it's got a 3% yield, which, again, where there's no one offering this kind of yield. You can't get this in a bond, government bond nowadays. Um, so I keep looking. What do I got going on here? Um, you know, I look down on the return on total capital. If you've got to take another look at a business and judge it, I'm gonna look at that, and you know, I'd would give it a solid B. It's mostly mid-teens, a few years into the upper teens. You know, it dipped into nine, uh, you know, nine percent in nine, but I mean, a lot of companies lost money. These guys have been solid earners um, the whole period. They're growing book value uh, very consistently, of course, with no losses, and uh, the share count drifts up a little bit. So I'm not going to give that. More than a C, Um, but you know at least it hasn't moved up too much in the last few years. So maybe they've had a change of heart on that. There's um, some debt, but it's all offset completely by the cash. Uh, Fifteen million in cash, which is you know just shy of two bucks a share, and then thirteen million in debt. So it's net debt free, a little bit of net cash. Um, So that's all good. Uh, They they're doing. Operating margins in the teens, and when I look over this ten or 15, twelve, whatever year period here, uh, my eyesight needs checking. So nine-year period, let's just say um, the margins are all in the teens, and there seems to be a slight upward drift. Which again, who knows why? But that can't be bad either. They're getting price, they're cutting costs, um, you know. And as I see. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me the uh return on capital stable it's not like they're mispricing um you know overcharging and earning a higher margin at the uh expense of asset turns or something it's not effect- negatively affecting returns on capital. so what do they do? well, this is where it gets kind of good. I think the story um according to value line and I believe them frankly. Um, manufacturers, Chase Corp manufactures tape, laminates, sealants, and coatings for reliability applications. That sounds good. And, uh, they do some contract assembly for the electronics industry. Um, okay. So, it sounds good, I guess, you know. Manufactures tapes, laminates. It sounds, you know, it's electronics, low cost. It's repair, maintenance. it go, they go on here. Uh, They do uh, repair tape, protective coating tape, all kinds of protectants. So, you know, as you get into this, what this really is is a maintenance. They offer maintenance. They offer, uh, you know, return on capital type of um, offer, which is, you know, buy our product and you'll, you know, save having to replace the stuff from rusting, et cetera. And during this period, um, you know, I was just checking this on – on, on my phone, there's this great new app. I want to just put a plug in. It's FRED, the Federal Reserve Electronic Data, I guess. I don't know what it stands for, but the St. Louis Federal Reserve has this fabulous database, and I've been talking about this for years. Um, even before an internet, they had a paper, the National you know, Economic Trends, International Economic Trends. I think you know, it was one of the first publications I figured out out of school I should have. I've always gotten it. Now it's an app from Fred. And, um, you know, you can dial in a series that you're interested in and pop charts. I mean, so it's pretty interesting. And so with regard to this company, I was looking at um, capacity utilization. I type capacity utilization into the search box. Boom, I've got a chart I'll probably post it to my Facebook page, which, by the way, if you're still listening at this point, I do keep a Facebook page at Val Hughes, and I try to put a link to the show, and, uh, and you know, I'm going to start putting these charts up. I have other stuff. There's other um, followers of the show there, whatever, but um, these charts pop up, and I looked at capacity utilization because I think, um, you know, if we're not building new plant and equipment it means that the old plant equipment's getting older the average is getting older each year versus if you were building to replace the average might stay stable but it's getting older and so you're going to have a you know bigger reliance on um on on maintenance and these guys are right smack dab in the middle of that trend so i looked up um you know the the capacity utilization we're running at 75 percent and there seems to be a kind of a downward trend over the last 20 years. It's really great data. Uh, there's a lot of volatility to it, but I started thinking, what does that really mean, 75%? Well, I mean, in theory, it means that uh, if we grow, you know, production even at 5% a year, so imagine you're at 75%, you grow at 5%, that's 3.75%, so then you're at 78 then eighty two then I mean you know you're 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 ten years before you need capacity, and it takes w- one year or two years to build capacity, so it strikes me that you know if you're in the sort of capacity building business um you know um, it could be could be a long winter um if you're in the maintenance business, I think you know. It stands to reason that, um, you know, you're going to have a pretty good business. People are going to want to keep their old stuff working and going um, rather than have to build new stuff in a period of flat demand. So I think these guys have a pretty good opportunity uh, to have, you know, a good period in here. Um, the valuation is nine times. I already talked about that. There's no debt. You've got a 3% yield. The coverage here, the dividend is $0.35. Cents. That's how you're getting your 3% yield because the stock's at 11.58. I checked it today. This is Monday, the 26th. I'm doing the show late, just trying to squeeze it in. I've been lazy and haven't done the show Um, because I've been waiting for Mo to get back from wherever the hell he is, but he's not getting back. So I'm just doing it. But it's 11.58 closed. The value line says 11.34. That's not a huge difference. So you know these numbers are pretty good, but 35 cent dividend is how I'm getting my yield, and earnings are a buck 18 in 2010, a buck 27 next year. I mean, that's a I mean, I'm not even doing the math here. It's a 30 percent no 20 percent payout. You know what? Is that about right? 24. You know, I guess so. So that looks sustainable. And, um, and so that's why I like it. Chase Corp, ticker CCF. Um, all right. What next? Um, all right, here's another one. Well, this, this is funny. It's a funny show. Chase Corp, of course, we've all heard of Chase Manhattan, heard of Chase, but this isn't that Chase. This is Chase Corp, which makes tape, Okay. Now, the next one, I mean, this is funny, Northwestern Corp. Well, we've all heard of Northwestern, right? Northwestern Life, I insurance, what have you, Northwestern University, what have you. I mean, Northwestern, I think it was a railroad as well at some point. Um, but no, not these guys. This is an electricity company. Go figure. I mean, you run into these crazy little you know, backwaters of things that are named for things you know, but they're not that. And so it's fun to go through here the small and mid-cap edition uh, of the Value Line Investment Survey. So Northwestern, ticker NWE. Again, I'm looking through Value Line, paging through it. 4.5% yield. That catches my eye uh, in a world where you can't find yield anywhere. And so... Uh, I look down at the payout. Can they keep paying that? Is it a one-time thing? What's up? Uh, Dividend, 136. Earnings, 214. Okay. And if I look back a couple years, I note one important thing. The earnings are always above 136. So, again, maybe I won't get a dividend cut. Maybe I'll get this 4.5% for a while. That's better than I'm getting other places. and, And then I can just wait until you know maybe you know maybe things look a little clean cleaner out there um, northwestern Corp provides electricity and natural gas to nearly seven hundred thousand customers in montana south dakota and nebraska now one thing i'd note about those states is um that they're probably not going to be losing a lot of population just because they're starting from a low base As the country continues to fill up, um, and this is my ice cube tray theory of population expansion, Um, as the population fills up, it's going to spill over, and it's going to go into places like Montana, South Dakota, Nebraska. They have a lot of room for people. And so um, right now, I mean, their total... um, area has a population of 857,000 people. And there's 300 million people in America. So as that grows, my guess is these guys have a shot at getting some of that. So you've got some of that natural uh natural growth. They've got um so that's their customer base for electricity at that level. And then they've got 180,000 natural gas customers in Montana and uh, another 85,000 in Nebraska. So electricity and natural gas, electricity, heating, etc. pretty stable. Um you know, right now natural gas prices are pretty low, I think. I'm not an expert at this by any means, but um I like that because it means you're not going to you know, you're not at some peak, you're going to own this, and then boom, your uh, natural gas prices are way down. And people have this recession mindset right now, so the commercial needs and demand for natural gas are, you know, viewed right now to be uh, looking weak going forward. So gas comes down, even though, you know, this company, um, I'm sure a good chunk of all this is just obviously going to be retail consumer demand. And um, and so it's a good time, I think, to buy in. Um, It doesn't say this here, but my guess is they have still, it's still, you know, one of those areas where you can get a monopoly. uh, And, you know, I like monopolies. I mean, you can get a monopoly, it's electricity and it's natural gas. And as a result, you know, I'm looking here, you know, I don't like this, but your returns on capital are very low um, in the mid single digits. Um, Now, On the other hand, I think there's a little game that, um, gets played in that, um, you know, yeah, you don't want your return on capital to get too high because then it might look like you're overcharging people. Uh, I will point out their operating margin is 30%. And so if I take the kind of inverse of that, uh, that means that, um, their costs are 70%, and they're charging up another 30%, which is nearly a 50% markup on their costs. But historically, regulators, and I don't know if these guys are regulated anymore, you know, that's kind of an old notion in some ways. But, um, you know, they, they still have this old mindset where they were regulated on the basis of returns on capital. And so, The last thing in the world you would ever do is write off an asset. I mean, you could have some kind of, you know, who knows, a a building or a telephone pole sitting out for 100 years, never used. You don't want to write that off because it's going to directly affect your revenue in a return on assets kind of environment. And when your assets go down because of a write off, then your allowed revenue goes down, and that might have to come in the form of a rebate or a rate decline or what have you. I mean, again, I am not. I used to follow some of these guys years ago, um, and so I was in touch. But whether these guys are regulated, I don't know, but my suspicion is is that the mindset of management still thinks like that. So in some cases, you know, you hear me talk about returns on capital. These returns on capital are low, and they're terrible, but it's quite possible that they're simply... Um, assets that should be written off and aren't being written off. And, you know, you need to know about that in order to to, to judge the management that bought those assets. But in some of these long-lived assets kind of a thing, on um, these utilities, you know, poles and lines and tracks and things, they last 100 years. Um, it may just be that some old management team from 20 years ago, you know, at that point in time, it made sense not to write things off. And these guys are still kind of going along with that. You know, they didn't do it, but it's still a legacy. Um, I'm not seeing the return on capital go up, so, you know, things aren't getting much better. But what I do like is I like these high margins. We're seeing these mid-20s, nearly 30% margin, and so I think that's a pretty comfortable thing. And as I say, the dividend is half the earnings, so this 4.5% yield, is pretty sustainable. Um there is a bunch of debt here. You kind of get that. That's part of the landscape with utilities. It's 50% debt to capital. I would say that there's something going on with the income statement and I'm just looking at value line, but my clues are that for 2010 the operating margin is 30%. This sheet on value line doesn't show a pre-tax margin, but I can take the net profit. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I could take the net profit of 77 million. They show me a tax rate of 25%, so I can divide the net profit by 75%. That gets me $103 million pre tax. And I'm looking at a 30% called 31% margin on a billion one. So I've got $344 million in operating income and I've got $103 million in pre tax income. The difference is two hundred and thirty million. Now, $91 million of that is depreciation that they show you here, but then I've got $147 million, and the debt is a billion dollars. So is that all interest, 14% really? I mean, that's too high. And so then I ask, well, what else is in there? Um, and, you know, I don't exactly know um, the answer to that. I will say that... The earnings have been growing pretty well over the last couple of years, but when you look at the sheet here, you know, it's all coming from declines in the tax rate. And so, let's see here, the tax rate, you know, it went from 37% in 2008, 17% in 09, so something happened that they got rewarded for, and then 25% in 2010, So, you know, who knows? Maybe they're investing in green energy and they're getting some rebates or something like that. Um, But even if earnings return to the levels prior to that period, it seems like they'd have a reasonable chance to earn enough to pay that dividend. And if we get a little population growth, again, that's wind at our back in these western states. You know, they're all gaining population at rates that... uh, you know, I honestly didn't look at their states, but my guess is, you know, if population growth is is 2% or 2.5% or whatever the heck it is, I mean, it's probably 5 and 6% out there. So Northwestern Corp, ticker NWE. Don't have the page number. And then finally this week, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a stock called PetMed Express, ticker P-E-T-S, I don't have the page number, um, but again, I look across the top here, and um, you know the thing that jumps out at me is a 5.2 percent yield, which um, that's a high yield. So sometimes when you see that, you expect something bad to happen. Like they're luring me to own their stock just to be I'm lured to a bad situation. Um well again the first thing to look at is the coverage ratio dividend 48 cents uh stock at 9.39 that's how you get that 5% earnings in 2010 92 cents forecast at 70 cents this year they were a buck 14 last year so you're in this little downtrend They just instituted the dividend in 2009 at 30 cents and then they made it 48 cents um, in 2010. Now they've got, let's see, they've got 22 million shares, so call it 50 cents a year, um, 22 million shares. That's 10 million bucks, 11 million bucks. Well, they've got 59 million on the balance sheet. They've got no debt. They've maintained. Uh, cash at that $59 million level over the last 12 months, even in the face of paying that dividend. And the dividend is $0.48. Cents, um, even at the uh, estimate for 2011 of $0.70. Cents, they still pay it. You know, I don't know from the history whether instituting a dividend in 2009 means they're going to now have it for all time. I mean, I think if you go and... Uh, you know, you go to uh, uh, find find their conference call. I'm just trying to think of that one site that has some of this stuff. Gurufocus.com, I think. Um, there's a couple sites that do manage to put up a lot of um, conference call transcripts, and those are great to read because in a world of um, fair disclosure rules and, you know, concern about management saying things to individuals they're not saying to groups those conference calls is where they disclose a lot now and you can tell that in part because the analyst questions even the analysts who follow them uh... for the brokerage firms you know they're asking questions that if they were seeing these guys and getting access to them regularly they wouldn't be asking because it's sometimes you're asking stuff that if you get the answer that's proprietary information why would you want to ask that on a call but Uh, My point being that these calls, the transcripts, particularly the Q&A, is often a good spot uh, to uh, get answers to some of these, you know, kind of obvious surface questions. And one here is, are you going to maintain the dividend? I'd say that even if they don't, the valuation of this thing at 11 times earnings is a pretty good deal. Obviously, it is a good deal because the earnings have been down. So what's going on? Well, in uh, full disclosure... I have owned this. We've done a lot of work in the shop on this. And what Pet Med, pet Med Express does is this is um, 1-800-PET-MEDS. That's how they go to business. Uh, you've probably seen their television ads. They're doing marketing and the sale of prescription and non-prescription pet medications and other health products for dogs, cats, and horses. So they got a whole list of stuff they do here. Um And they sell them primarily through doing advertising on cable television and attracting you to call them or go to their website. Um, These guys are experts in a thing called customer acquisition costs. So they have a lot of science in what the value is of each customer that they get to their uh, platform. And. You know, when you buy one thing, they know that you're apt to buy 2.7 more things at a value of this and that. They have all this modeled out. They know when you, you know, they do an offer up on an ad, they can tell in the first few minutes how that's going to curve out based on, you know, literally thousands of um, other experiences or scenarios like that. Um, And so um, what I like about it is in some sense, you know, I, w- I won't say it's predictable. Obviously, they're not shooting for down earnings. But I'll tell you, I looked, again, I talked about that Fred site. Here's another one I went in and looked at with regard to PetMed Express. Why are there, why is the business down? People love their pets. That's my theme on these pet companies is that um, people love their pets, the demographics of America, aging of America. You know, the stats are that older Americans have pets. Uh, women live longer than men. Women tend to have a lot of pets. When you can't get out of your house, you know, they send stuff to your door. It's a huge advantage. Americans love convenience. They also have low cost because, um, you know, you're not, you don't have the cost of going out, your own time, the car, the parking, the time, etc. So from a sheer efficiency, the theme here is these guys are the most efficient in the niche. Um, Now, you got to get past the trust hurdle. <coughs> so, getting that first customer and having them have a good experience, you know, it's very important, and it leads to valuable customers. And they they make all of this of a you know science out of it. So I really, I really like that. They've got a lot of levers to pull. Um, now I do know um, there's uh, a little bit of competition going on. One of the things these guys did for years is they competed very effectively against the vets who would, um, in conjunction with a visit, you know, they might sell you some prescription medicines, but they might charge you uh, along the lines of what a hospital might charge you for a human pharmaceutical, which is uh, they might, you know, uh, they might mark it up a little more than you'd have to to have a viable company. Um, For me to, you know... Um, think about the economies of scale with net you know uh really effective purchases on cable a lot of uh, attention to what the ads cost how many customers they attract don't overpay for media um etc they they they're, it's really like they have dials of the value of a customer and the cost to acquire a customer uh, they spot buy cable based on the time of day, time of year, et cetera, and they buy forward in medicines to take advantage of price increases. They're, you know, they're scientists of of this. Now, the, the reason business is down is frankly, and again, I went and looked on Fred. Um, the disposable personal income series is down about five percent um, off the highs of 2008. And they were off about 8% at one point. Now, I went in and looked back at some data. There's data in there going back 50 years. And, you know, this decline is among the worst in our, you know, again, we don't have data from the 1800s. There were quite a few panics, particularly one in 1873 that shut down every major city. So I think there are other examples of bad periods. We just don't have the data. But in modern times, this is... A pretty serious decline off the peak now, I will say we're kind of just back to um disposable personal income levels of uh around two thousand six, so that's not terrible i mean it's it's terrible based on history, but things obviously could be a lot worse. we haven't had there's no plague, and so say, well, during that period, does it make sense that people might cut back a little bit on their pets? Yes, and then also during this period, because of the decline at the local veterinarian, his own business, they got a lot more aggressive in pricing on these pharmaceuticals, and so you've seen the margin here come down. Um, you know, from seventeen point six percent in two thousand nine, fifteen percent two thousand ten. It looks like it must be taking another step down in two thousand eleven. Although Value Line doesn't attempt to. Uh, put the number in here, but um, I was at a conference recently, and we talked to some vet people, and you know that's kind of what's going on. Everyone's being pressured to discount because of the you know kind of flatness to decline in the number of people bringing their pets in for treatment, and so it's been a competitive time but um you know, I think that what's happened is a lot of the higher cost manufacturers, higher cost providers are getting out of the business, and so during this period, the market share of PetMed Express is going up. And so when we move back into a period where people feel like they have a little more discretionary income, um, and frankly, the numbers are looking pretty good right now in terms of the year over year, the last year or so, and, um, you know, that's not going to be a rocket ship, but um, I think that... Um, you know, we are going to see some improvements over the next few years. And so people are going to get back to paying a little more to take care of their pets. These guys are going to gain share from lower cost, or I should say higher cost providers that go out of business. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe the veterinarians, when people stop start coming back in for surgeries, you know, they're not so worried about trying to, uh, you know, press the, every gross margin dollar out of uh, pharmaceuticals. So I think you're going to get uh, some improvement in the business here, and you might get a little bit of lift in the valuation. Um, but whatever, it's a 5% yield. So I don't own this right now. I Actually, we sold it. Uh, we owned it for a period. We sold it. You know, timing can sometimes be lucky, but it reached our price targets, and we sold this, I think, in the 20s. It's way backed off here till 9 to 9. So... Um, you know, frankly, we're looking, we're back looking at this as well. Pet Med Express, ticker P-E-T-S. And, uh, Jesus, I can go on and on on the show. It's 42 minutes, four seconds into the show. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I'm going to have a favorite this week, I think, as I'd like to do. And, uh... It's a little bit harder on these small ones because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You've got to go figure that out. But I'd say, you know, I really like, um, hmm, it's a tough one. I think I'm going to go with Chase Corp, ticker CCF. You don't get the yield of the other two, but this thing looks ridiculously cheap. Uh, for the annuity that they quite likely have. And when you have very low interest rates, annuities are worth a lot more. And in the case of this one, you're sitting right on its historical, well, I won't say historical low, but recent low valuation. So I'm going to take the 3% yield and hope for the stock to move from a multiple of nine times to, you know, who knows, 12 times, be a nice return over the next 12 months. So Chase Corp CCF, um, thanks for listening in, everybody. This has been the Value Line Observer Small and Mid Cap Edition for September twenty third, two thousand and eleven. See all our caveats, photos, bios, etc. at www. How many W's did I do? guys com. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Bye bye.